This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. We have a special guest right off the top here. He is Senator Jim Stamas, Republican of Midland. Welcome to the Political Insider, Senator Jim Stamas. Good morning, Bill. How are you today? Uh, I am great, and you are the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. You represent the 36th Senate District, which is a major chunk of the northeastern quadrant of the Lower Peninsula anchored in Midland County and Alpena County, but you've also got Alcona and Gladwin and Iosco and Montmorency and Oscoda and Otsego and Presque Isle. Is that correct? It is. It is. I have, what, uh, 10 counties, 110 townships, 15 cities, 7 villages. Um, so, yeah, it's a substantial part of northeast Michigan, so... Probably the best part of the state that you can find. Oh, I was going to say, that's a big assignment you've got, and I know you cover it well. Look, um, I have been talking for weeks and months um, to our listeners about what's been going on with the budget negotiations between Governor Gretchen Whitmer and the Michigan legislature. Finally, you had at least a partial breakthrough this week that's pretty important, and I just wondered if you could sum up uh, as best you can, uh, how you see things having developed this week and, and what it looks like going forward. Sure. So I, I guess, you know, as, as we started out the year, uh, the governor had uh, come forward and uh, presented her budget, and a large part of her budget was based on a $0.45 cent, uh, gas increase, uh, gas tax increase, which would have brought in a little over $2 million, uh, or two. Uh, $2 billion more, um, and so many of her line items across the executive recommendation budget um, were based on numbers of taxation that just truly didn't exist. And so as we went through this, uh, the you know, summer and that, um, trying to find out uh, a discussion on gas tax and or revenue for that, um, discussions just seemed to, to solve to the very end. Uh, when we needed to have the budget done. And at the very end, um, the legislature was um, basically forced to send a budget to the governor that, that had not been fully uh, negotiated with the, with the governor, uh, which led to 147 line items being vetoed, almost a billion dollars. And uh, then in addition to that, the uh, admin board, um, and the governor, this governor being the first ever to move $625 million um, within each of the departments based on a law from the 1920s because of a part-time legislature. And so um, that sort of led to all of this discussion over the last couple months. Um, where do we go with a billion dollars uh, in, in a lot of programs um, that need to be reinstated? And then uh, how do we close out the year as well? So, um Fast forwarding, uh, I think the majority leader uh, and the speaker uh, held strong on the concern um, of damage being done to the legislature's authority and ability to properly uh, budget um, with the, the discussion on the uh, money that was moved in the administration board. 
Um, I think finally, um, just last week, we came to an agreement through uh, negotiations with the Senate Majority Leader Shirky, Speaker Chatfield, and the Governor Whitmer, um, and did put forward uh, a supplemental of about $570 million, uh, including a reversal on several of the departments on the ad board. And so I think at the end of the year, we finally were able to come together, put us in a good spot where all three uh, entities are, are having a positive conversation. Uh, I think it puts us in a good spot moving forward uh, next year as we look at closing out 2019 still. We need to do that. And uh, we still have uh, about $400 million uh, that has not gone out. Um, and so there's likely, I think, to, to see discussions on another supplemental towards the beginning of the year um, to do that. But we're also jumping right into uh, 2021's budget and the discussions with uh, the projection of revenues coming in, starting to come in on or uh, being presented on January 10th. Right. Well, uh, in other words, if $400 million uh, still have not been restored that the governor cut, do you think there's a good prospect that a lot of that will be eventually passed early next year when you go back into session and negotiate with the governor again? Or is some of that just kind of off the table? I mean, isn't a lot of that road money that uh, supposedly she wanted <laughs> and you sent her, but she vetoed it? Yeah, I, I think that the prospect of a positive dialogue uh, on an, another supplemental um, with what we've been able to accomplish over the last couple of weeks uh, is definitely in the site at, at the moment. Um, what will be included in that, that's, that's the uh, $400 you know, million dollar question at this point. Um, you know, I think there are many, many programs that were uh, original in the original proposal from the House and the Senate that went to the governor, there's a lot of programs that will probably not uh, be coming back in the supplemental. Um, but we'll have to, to look at that as we move forward uh, looking at the, the revenue in, in January. And so um, as far as roads and uh, where we move with it, uh, you know, uh, the legislature had put in $400 million uh, towards in addition, in additional dollars towards roads. Uh, governor vetoed all but uh, $25 million of that. And so I certainly think that there's still uh, opportunity for discussion on, on roads, um, but that's, that's something that the leader, uh, speaker, and the governor will have to, uh, to sort of set as one of the primary goals as we look at this next supplemental as well. Senator Jim Stamas, we have on the line, he's explaining things for us. Uh, I think the major concern almost, for the legislature was not even so much the vetoes, but it was this transfer that you just described, uh, $625, $630 million that she got the so-called administrative board, which consists of seven people in the Whitmer administration, all basically accountable to her, who chose to take the money that the legislature, that means you, and your 147 colleagues, Republicans and Democrats at center, and not spend it the way you designated it to be spent, but to move it around within individual departments and spend it the way she wanted to. And that is something that no governor has ever done before, at least to this extent. It was done briefly by Governor Engler in a very minor degree back in 1991, but never like this. And 
the governor was pretty stubborn about retaining that power and being able to do it again in the future, uh, which I don't think went over very well <laughs> with uh, the Senate and the House. So how is that being resolved? What have you sent her that she's agreed to that will at least partially resolve that impasse between the governor and the legislature going forward? Sure. And so um, as we were able to do the supplemental um, just this last week, part of the agreement is that the governor would uh, we uh, have uh, passed statutory change on that process um, for the Ed Board. Now, it doesn't take her powers away at all, but it does give a more um, – or open process uh, with, I believe, a 30-day notice um, and the opportunity to have discussions um, before the governor can actually just hold an admin board and do any of the uh, transfers. And so there was a substantial change, uh, again, not giving up the power, but in the process. So there was uh, there's an agreement that the governor will sign a, a statutory change in, my, um, uh, in the process on top of agreeing um, with boilerplate that does limit how that board will. And I think that was that was the big step that we needed uh, for the legislature to feel um, that we still have uh, a strong say in the process. So uh, that was something, again, I think Senator uh, Surgery was a strong leader on that, and Speaker Chatfield also. So I think it's a positive move forward. Thank you so much, Senator Jim Stamos. I wish we could talk longer, but we're out of time. But thank you so much for explaining this. And Godspeed. Have a good weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next year. Sounds good. Thank you, Bill. We'll be back. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with Jonathan Osting, who is now a political reporter and state government reporter for Bridge Magazine after several years at the Detroit News. And Jonathan, welcome to the Political Insider. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Well, I know you had a busy week. You started out trying to cover the, uh, and definitely covering the uh, Representative Larry Inman trial, but then when that was over, you hustled back to Lansing and picked up where you'd left off the week before, and that is covering the hijinks in the state capitol involving the budget and the Governor Gretchen Whitmer confrontation with the legislature that's been going on for weeks or months. Uh, How do you look at what finally developed this week, and what does it mean going forward? Well, I think what they finally agreed to uh, this week is sort of a partial agreement. It's been called, you know, a budget deal. But what it actually does is it restores about uh, $573 million, or anyways, allocates $573 million of the nearly $1 billion that the governor had vetoed um, in the midst of this budget dispute. So it doesn't resolve all the issues. It doesn't restore all the funding. Uh, but certainly it's a big chunk. And, um, you know, everyone, I think, in Lansing is optimistic that it signals uh, potentially uh, the opportunity to work together again early next year to figure out some more spending decisions and even to try and resume uh, these long-running and long-stalled discussions over long-term road funding. Yeah, 
early next year, um, the legislature, because this is a continuous two-year session, they could uh, negotiate with the governor and come up with money that would partially or fully restore the rest of her budget cuts, uh, some $400 million. Do you think that's likely, or do you think it's all to be put aside because a lot of it is road funding money that the legislature sent her that she vetoed because she said, you know, I either want a total big deal, $2.5 billion, which I originally proposed, this is the governor talking, or I don't want anything right now. And she vetoed what they sent her. Uh, how do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be difficult again. You know, just like, uh, you know, the governor's gas tax proposal obviously did not go over well. Um, there is talk that, you know, there's going to be some new ideas put on the table to start uh, the new year as far as road funding discussions go. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, now that they got some sort of the low-hanging fruit not resolved here, uh, it's going to be a, a heavier lift to get some of the other things done. I mean, a lot of the funding that was restored or reversed um, in the supplemental this week is stuff that everybody had agreed on. It's stuff that, uh, you know, I think the governor knew looked bad uh, uh, from a uh, public perspective, having vetoed, you know, it was uh, a funding increase for charter schools. It was public safety money for county jail reimbursement and secondary road patrols, uh, you know, rural hospitals and opioid center uh, she had visited instead of Majority Leader Mike Shirky's district. So this is stuff that was sort of obvious, you know, get this off the table so that uh, some of the heartburn, some of the pressure can be relieved here. Uh, but that doesn't mean, um, you know, that they're going to be able to resolve, as you mentioned, these, these bigger issues about uh, where they're pretty far apart still on, you know, what sort of money is needed to fix the larger problems in the state, uh, including roads, but also, uh, you know, other budget issues that the governor had really wanted to focus on and, and didn't make the cut here in the first round. You know, Jonathan, amazingly, uh, they've got to start work almost immediately on the next year's budget, uh, 2021, early next year, even while a lot of the stuff you just described from this year's budget is still unresolved. You think that's going to complicate things or maybe make them a little easier? I mean, they'll be getting revenue estimates uh, from the Treasury Department as to whether income is coming in to the extent that they believed it would when they passed a lot of this stuff and got it finally enacted this year. Uh, do you think it's going to be more complicated, less, or whatever? Well, I talked to a couple lawmakers this week who are certainly dreading that reality, <laughs> that, you know, after what it was essentially a nine-month budget process, uh, it's due to start over again here pretty quick. Uh, uh, that said, I think they did take some steps here uh, in the last week to sort of uh, set the table for a slightly more streamlined process. So, of course, the big uh, deal that they made was, uh, you know, some language that at least for one year um, gives the legislature some authority to uh, reverse uh, budget transfers as the governor makes them using the administrative board. But uh, also included in that deal was a requirement that the legislature must present a, a budget to the governor by July 1. So um, the idea here is to avoid sort of that last-minute standoff that we saw this year, uh, that sort of, uh, you know, obviously after talks broke down, uh, the legislature went ahead and sent the governor a budget, and she ended up vetoing a lot of it. 
this would ensure that if that is going to happen again, it at least would happen a little bit earlier in the year and give them a little more time to resolve it. So, uh, you know, the first year of divided government, I think, inevitably was going to be tricky and complicated, and it was obviously very messy, and it's still not yet resolved. But I think, you know, all sides sort of know the um, – the rules of the game now. They know sort of, uh, you know, what what's possible, what each side could do, and um, I think they are optimistic that it's going to go a little more smoothly the second time around. You know, Jonathan, I think I hear you saying uh, things couldn't possibly be any worse next year than they were <laughs> this year, right? And that may- I think that's a fair way to say it. Yeah, yeah. maybe both sides uh, learned some lessons. Um, could you describe a little bit more, I mean, this other major piece of what happened with the budget this year, and that is the so-called administrative transfers uh, involving the very obscure administrative board that most people don't even know exists. And it's existed for nearly a century. I think it was founded in 1921, created by Governor Alex J. Grossbeck, but it never was used in the way that Governor Whitmer used it this year. And of course, the legislature expressed shock that she did what she did, $630 million she shuffled around within departments. And you just said that you think they've got a deal at least for the next year. It's not permanently in statute, but for the next year, uh, they're, they've got basically the legislature, she's given them veto power, hasn't she, over any transfers she makes within departments, at least for this next fiscal year? Is that correct? Well, yes, but that would not necessarily apply to the next budget process that is approved. So that's for this fiscal year, which, of course, ends in October. So uh, that language is in there. There there was another statutory change that was made that uh, will live beyond this particular budget bill, uh, certainly, which is that um, it requires the administration to at least give notice to the legislature before making a transfer. Uh, it'd be 30 days or six session days, and then um, the legislature could have the option to make that transfer itself or take other actions. So uh, that part, at least, would live on. The the um, language that we've been discussing previously that would give the legislature the option to uh, essentially reverse a um, administrative board transfer. That's in boilerplate. So that's something the governor has agreed to sign this year, but it's something she could reject in future years. Uh, but I imagine they'll they'll try to reach agreement on that front sooner rather than later next cycle. I got you. Listen, that's a great explanation. I really appreciate it. Jonathan Hosting of Bridge Magazine gives us a great sum up of what happened in the turbulent final week of the Michigan legislature. Thank you, Jonathan Osting. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. We'll be back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned with Craig Mauger. And Craig is a capital and state government reporter for the Detroit News. He has been trying to cover fires of a political nature on two fronts this week. Uh, the trial of State Representative Larry Inman uh, over in Grand Rapids, but also he's been keeping an eye on what's been going on in the Michigan legislature and its 
confrontation and negotiations with Governor Gretchen Whitmer over the state budget, which we've talked about earlier in the program, I'd just like to ask you, Craig, and by the way, welcome to the Political Insider. Thank you so much for having me on this cold Friday. Yeah. Well, tell us, uh, how do you look at what happened this week, and what does it mean going forward? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, those are great questions. Uh, what happened this week is that state lawmakers and Governor Gretchen Whitmer were able to resolve, to a certain extent, the budget stalemate that had been persisting in Lansing for a couple of months. However, uh, they were able to reach an agreement, but they weren't able to reach an agreement on some of the really big and divisive issues that have been driving kind of uh, the confrontations in Lansing. When it comes to road funding, they still don't have a plan for how to boost funding for the state's crumbling infrastructure. When it comes to something like Pure Michigan, the tourism campaign, there is still plenty of disagreement on whether and how the state should be funding that campaign. So those two issues are examples of some of the, the, the many issues that have been punted into 2020. And the question facing the Capitol is, is the spirit of cooperation that they kind of ended 2019 with going to bleed over into 2020? Or is when 2020 opens, is it going to be a very partisan election year where nothing gets done? I mean, those are the questions kind of facing these officials right now. Yeah, one of the big questions we talked about earlier in the program with a couple of other guests is um, this so-called, at least partial, agreement uh, between the legislature and the governor as to how much power she has to move around funding within departments. These so-called budget transfers she made, $630 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some things were set in place. Supposedly now the legislature has got to send her a budget by July 1st uh, next year. Uh, I don't think there's any penalty clause in there if they don't. Um, And, you know, then the question of the 30 day notice that she's got to give to the legislature, if she's going to try and make any moves. I mean, how is that going to play out? I mean, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around how all of that is going to play out. I mean, I think they're, they are nibbling around the edges of the bigger debate they were having over where does the power lie when it comes to setting state appropriations. And I think they were able to make some minor tweaks, the things you kind of mentioned, things also that were impacting just the current fiscal year that we're in. Um, but, but I think that the larger debate, over the state administrative board is still sitting out there and who knows could one day rear its head again okay i want to switch gears uh to state representative larry inman and his trial over there in federal court in grand rapids and you were there now how do you see that having ended and what does it mean going forward i mean it has a it has uh, a number of impacts i know that it's caught the attention of a lot of people in the Capitol. Uh, basically, how it ended was a jury uh, decided that uh, Larry Amon was not guilty of lying to the FBI. Um, that was one of the three charges against him. On the other two charges, the jury couldn't reach a unanimous verdict. So essentially, there was a mistrial declared, and um, there's a possibility the representative Amon will be retried on those two charges uh, down the road. The impact on the state capitol is that Representative Inman was back in-house session 
on Wednesday. Uh, he's planning to continue serving and representing his constituents in the state house. And at the moment, his house leadership hasn't uh, made any changes in their decision to remove his access to his office, to remove his staff from him. Um, he's still kicked out of the caucus, the Republican caucus. He still doesn't have his committee assignments. And that's kind of where it uh, lays right now. Uh, the spokesperson for the Speaker of the House said yes, yesterday, uh, basically nothing's changed when it comes to Representative Inman's status. So that's where we are. You know, um, the House urged uh, Representative Inman to resign. I mean, they actually passed a resolution. Yes. Uh, And and yet he obviously resisted that and refused to do it. And he's gone through this trial that you just described. I mean, if they wanted to expel him, which they have the power to do, it's a political process. uh, It seems to me that case maybe isn't as strong for the legislature to do that, for the House to do that now as it was before the verdict in the trial or non-verdict. Oh, I, I think you're 100% spot on. I think a lot of lawmakers were waiting to decide how hard they wanted to go after expulsion until after uh, verdicts came back in his trial. And I think they had some expectation. If you talk to them, uh, they had some expectation that they thought uh, he would be guilty at least of the lying charge, and then maybe that would set off some type of expulsion proceeding in the state house. However, that's not what happened. He was... Uh, found not guilty of that particular charge, and the other two are kind of still out there unresolved. So, I mean, I think the House is definitely in a weaker position today to seek expulsion than they were uh, before the trial began. Um, and kind of the other thing that's, that's uh, looming over all of this is the fact that when they did penalize him by taking his office away and, and do some of the things uh, with the resolution, they basically argued that they were doing that independently of the criminal trial against them. I mean, there's this presumption of innocence, but they were doing those things based on just the text messages that they saw, uh, the information they received from Representative Inman when they met with him. So for them to now backtrack on those things uh, because of what's happened with the indictment, uh, that wouldn't make a ton of sense either. So they're in a difficult position. What about the recall election uh, petitions that have been filed. Uh, They have been ruled by the Secretary of State as invalid because of a typo, technical error in the wording, but that's being appealed in court. Uh, What happens if a recall gets scheduled? You know, that's a great question, too. I mean, that's wrapped up in the courts at the moment. Uh, If a recall does get scheduled, I I mean, I I guess that would play out out separately than what's happening um, in the House. But, uh, you know, Larry Emmons' attorney has argued that the recall should be considered non-illegitimate because it was based, in his mind, around the indictment that he was now found not guilty of one of three charges. Uh, so that, that is very much up in the air. Uh, the whole situation, I think, is, has, a, uh, has a bunch of uncertainty around it at the moment. And all we know uh, is that, you know, Representative Inman is, is going to be showing up to work probably when the House reconvenes in 2020. <laughs> uh, has the deadline passed by which time uh, Representative Inman can make a decision as to whether he would want to be the Republican standing for 
uh, retention of his seat as the nominee if there's a recall election um, or, you know, yeah. that, that his attorney was asked about that last week and basically um, completely rejected the question and said the recall is not happening. It's illegitimate. Uh, and, and so, I mean, he, he just completely uh, swatted that question away, if I'm remembering correctly. Well, maybe as you point out, I mean, the very fact that Representative Inman was exonerated on the charge of lying to the FBI and the other two charges that are still possibly pending if the federal government tries to refile charges, maybe that just throws everything into a cocked hat in terms of a recall or anything else. I could see Representative Inman's attorney going into court and saying, you know, this is total sham. Uh, you know, he he hasn't been indicted. I mean, he hasn't been convicted of anything, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a major possibility. Yeah. Listen, uh, I'd love to talk with you more about this, but we're out of time. You've done a great job covering everything. My God, you were from one end of the state to the other this week. Great job. Thank you very much. (laughs) Craig Mauger of the Detroit News. We'll be back. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we've talked a lot about not just State Representative Larry Inman and his trial on federal charges in Grand Rapids, but also, obviously, the turbulent budget standoff between the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and the Michigan legislature that dominated most of calendar year 2019. But, you know, there were some other things going on this week that actually happened in this final week that the legislature was in session. For instance, uh, the legislature passed and sent to the governor a huge package, 10 bills, that will legalize online gambling in Michigan, including sports betting. Now, this is something that has been controversial all along, depending on whether you think gambling should be expanded beyond what we already have here in Michigan. And I got to tell you, it's just staggering what we have here in Michigan. I mean, we've not only got originally the only way you could really gamble in Michigan was horse racing, Then we got the lottery. Then we got Indian casinos. Then we got the three Detroit casinos. And now, folks, we're going to have online gambling. We're going to have sports betting. The United States Supreme Court says that can be done if states want to do it. Other states have already passed laws to allow it. Indiana is a good example. And that was one of the arguments by proponents of this legislation saying, you know, We are being stolen blind here in Michigan if we allow all these other states to do this online gambling and sports betting, and we don't have it in place here in Michigan. So we've got to get on the stick and get this legislation passed. Well, guess what? They passed it a year ago. But somewhat surprisingly, on his way out of office, Governor Rick Snyder vetoed it. So the legislature started all over again. Uh, This year, the prime mover was State Representative Brant Iden, a Republican from the Kalamazoo area, and they pretty much put the whole package back together again. There were some concerns by Governor Gretchen Whitmer that kind of echoed the way that Rick Snyder felt when he left office, 
that this maybe isn't such a good idea. She, in particular, was concerned because she thought it might have a very negative impact on the school aid fund because lottery revenue, revenue that the state gets from lottery sales, goes to the school aid fund. And she was worried that if you legalize online gambling and sports betting, that it's going to detract the amount of money that goes to the lottery and then to the school aid fund. Uh, But apparently the legislature has mollified the governor's concern, and she is expected to sign this legislation. So that's a major breakthrough. And it was one of the big uh, initiatives by the legislature this year. I would say the auto insurance rate reform last spring was the other big one. These are initiatives that came from the legislature, not from the governor. And basically all the governor is doing is ratifying what the legislature decided to do. Now, another thing uh, that is moving along but it's not complete is another big tax break uh, being given to SWITCH, S-W-I-T-C-H, SWITCH. It's the largest data center in the eastern half of the United States, and it's located in the Grand Rapids area. Uh, It provides something like 800 jobs so far. Uh, They debated this hotly in the House of Representatives this week. There was a very close vote. Uh, The Speaker of the House held the board open for 20 minutes trying to hustle up the last few votes, and it passed narrowly 55 to 53. It only takes 55 votes to pass a bill now because there is an empty seat uh, vacated by Representative Sheldon Neely, when he was elected mayor of Flint last month. So only 109 members in the House. That means instead of 56 votes, you only need 55. Well, this thing got the bare minimum. Uh, So that's moving. Uh, They amended in the House the Senate version and went back to the Senate, but the Senate did not take up the bill before they recessed, and it's basically uh, adjourned sine die for the rest of the year. But the Senate said, we will take it up when we come back next year. Uh, Another thing that happened this week, Governor Gretchen Whitmer appointed the chair of the Wayne State University Board of Governors, Kim Trent, to a position in her administration. So she resigned her seat on the Wayne State Board. Well, now, who cares? Does anybody even really know who's on the Wayne State Board? What difference does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference in the case of Wayne State because they are deadlocked four to four. Uh, A lot of antipathy there between a faction of four members opposed to the other four members. They've actually sued each other in court. One side uh, favors uh, retaining the president of Wayne State. The other wants to get rid of him. Uh, and the governor moved immediately to appoint a woman named Shirley Stancato to fill the place of Kim Trent. And the question is, where does Shirley Stancato come down? Uh, is she going to join the faction that Kim Trent was a part of? Uh, or is she going to be sympathetic with the views of the other four members? We don't know, but she made friendly statements uh 
on behalf of President Wilson of Wayne State, and those were the sentiments of Kim Trent when she was the chair of the board. So if Shirley Stancato basically is going to have the same attitude as Kim Trent, uh, it sounds to me like the deadlock may continue, but maybe Shirley Stancato herself, she has a very impressive resume, uh, will be able to somehow turn things around on the board. Uh, We'll see what happens there. Another development this week, the State Court of Appeals uh, issued another rebuff to Governor Whitmer on her attempt to promulgate emergency rules banning flavored e-cigarettes. The Court of Claims had struck down the governor's actions, saying it was an excess of gubernatorial authority, and the governor asked the Court of Appeals to issue a stay against the Court of Claims ruling, and the Court of Appeals refused to issue a stay. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not ultimately going to side with the governor, but it's not a good sign for the governor. Here's another development this week, and it involves another campaign promise. We've heard all sorts of things about fix the damn roads this year. That was the governor's famous battle cry in 2018 when she ran for the governorship. She said, I promise we're going to fix the damn roads. And then she came out with a 45 cent per gallon increase in the gas tax as a way to do it. And that obviously blew up in her face and resulted in the budget for most of 2019, which we've talked about earlier on this program, is being partially resolved. Well, Jocelyn Benson running for Secretary of State, she made a promise last year. She said, I am going to get everybody who comes into a Secretary of State's office in and out in 30 minutes within a year. Well, guess what? It hasn't happened. Uh, The wait time now average in Secretary of State offices is 51 minutes. And that is up from 43 minutes last year. And it's up from 33 minutes back in 2017. And it's up from only 14 minutes back in 2001. In other words, things are going in the opposite direction from what Jocelyn Benson promised. However, she says she believes that people actually are getting in and out in 30 minutes if they make an appointment. But they have to make an appointment. If you don't make an appointment before you go to the Secretary of State's office, if you just show up, uh, you're not getting in and out in 30 minutes. But she thinks, I can get there. I can do it. I know we can do it. Well, we'll find out. This is what happens, folks, with campaign promises. Remember in the debate between Gretchen Whitmer and Bill Schuette, when Bill Schuette accused Gretchen Whitmer of getting ready to hike the state gas tax 20 cents a gallon, she said, that is ridiculous. I mean, it's right on video. It's on camera. She said, that's not going to happen. This is Bill Schuette, uh just being a demagogue. Well, guess what? Uh, actually, Bill Schuette was wrong. She didn't propose a 20-cent hike in the gas tax. She proposed 45. Uh, the only other thing that happened this week, John James filed... Over 23,000 signatures in his campaign to get on the ballot next year as a Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. So that's it for this week. But, boy, even with the legislature out of session for the rest of the year, 
there's going to be a lot more excitement next week. So tune in again next week. That's all, folks.